0: Hello, it's Clive DeKal, and I'm so pleased to be welcoming Mark Devlin, the brilliant author of the Musical Truth series of books. Fantastically interesting, amazingly detailed, and an incredible work, I believe. So, so, Mark, there's so many places we could start, but I'd like to jump in with, because we've got all this Russia thing going on, uh, with, with the military connection and the government connection to music. I mean, I was really surprised when I learned from you that uh, so many of the musical stars had parents who are either in the military or in in the government and uh, The Doors, for instance, uh, that was a very interesting one. Can, Can we start around there? Sure.
1: Well, this ties into the work of Dave McGowan, the brilliant author and researcher who put out the book Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon in 2014, and that really inspired me to do digging of this nature to look into the family backgrounds of so many prominent musicians. And what Dave demonstrated through his research was that so many of the musicians who emerged during the counterculture era of the mid to late 1960s, coming out of specifically the Laurel Canyon district of the Hollywood Hills in Los Angeles, pretty much in every case had family connections to aspects of the military or military intelligence or other aspects of government or the establishment. And this is not really what you would expect to find. It's not what I'd expect to find when it comes to uh, music makers and those that start bands. I would expect to find a significant array of professions when you look into the fathers. I'd expect to find a lot of working class jobs, regular kind of jobs, you know, builders, plumbers, electricians, dockers, lorry drivers, that sort of thing. But you never get that. What you do get is High-ranking military officials, like generals, admirals, corporals, um, uh, colonels, and you find expressions of the establishment in terms of Ivy League universities, Yale and Harvard. You find that many of the fathers were connected to these institutions. Aspects of government, like the Defence Department, the Pentagon, uh, different police departments and drug enforcement agencies and this kind of thing, and also connections into secret societies like Freemasonry and the Century Club, the Bohemian Club, these different uh, associations, fraternities. And uh, so McGowan's work kind of sparked an interest in me to, to see how much further this went. And the classic example that he gave was that of Jim Morrison, whose dad was the Navy Admiral in charge of the fleet of ships involved in the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which has been shown since to have been a false flag that was used to justify America's involvement in the Vietnam War. And that's very far from an isolated example. As I say, pretty much every prominent musician from that scene from those times had those kind of connections. So I started looking into how this played out in terms of British music makers. And there's quite a few examples there. There's the Rolling Stones, for example. You've got the founder member, Brian Jones, who turned up dead in very mysterious circumstances in 1969 at the age of 27, a member of the fabled 27 Club. So his dad was involved in some sort of research connected to aeronautical uh, activities. And I suspect that this was connected to GCHQ in Cheltenham, because the family moved from Wales to Cheltenham, which is where Brian Jones grew up. And uh, that, of course, is where we have GCHQ, which is like the UK version of the NSA, concerned with surveillance and monitoring spying. And then Mick Jagger's father was a military man as well. Mick Jagger studied at the London School of Economics, which is one of these social engineering think tanks that specializes in shaping and molding culture and changing value systems and belief systems and perceptions within society. It's what they do. So you wouldn't really expect someone to come out of that kind of uh, so-called education and become a debaucherous, grizzled rock star. the next five decades. But that's what we have with Mick Jagger. Then you've got Cliff Richard, or Sir Cliff Richard, perhaps we should call him. Of course, it's Sir Mick Jagger as well. There's quite a few sirs in this story. And a general piece of advice that I would give is never trust a sir. So Sir Cliff Richard's dad, Roger Webb, Cliff's real name was Harry Webb, worked for a time for the Thorn EMI Corporation. And another thing that you find in this sort of research is that so many of the prominent record labels that were responsible for launching and putting out and promoting these successful and influential bands like the Beatles, like the Rolling Stones, like the Doors, like Cliff Richard, like Elvis Presley, also had connections to the military. You find this with RCA, Radio Corporation of America, which came out of the US Navy. You find it with Decca records, you find it with EMI records, electrical mechanical industries, and that's connected to Thorne, uh, Electrics, Electronics Division. And so Cliff Richard's father had a job with this organisation. We don't know exactly what he did because it doesn't really appear in biographies and such. But we got many examples there of British artists and British bands uh, connected in the same way. You can look at the members of Pink Floyd to get some more on that. And then you've got uh, Brian May of Queen, who has uh, connections into uh, universities and the academic establishment, and he's since become a cosmologist, an astrologer, whatever the job title is, so he's sort of pushing further agendas there, and this is what so many of them do. They become familiar as rock stars, they're put out there uh, to endear themselves to the general public, they build up a fan base, And at some point down the line, their real work starts to begin, which is the pushing of agendas and the changing of societal attitudes. It's that way with all celebrities, you find it with Hollywood actors, you find it with TV presenters, you find it with sports stars, with comedians, with anyone in the public eye.
0: So everyone, I mean, surely a lot of people get there by merit and not connections.
1: There are different ways that musicians become famous and successful and influential. In many cases, it is down to family bloodlines. You find these generational uh, families, different generations of them, are put to use in prominent public roles. And again, that doesn't just have to be music, doesn't just have to be entertainment, it can be in the world of politics or the world of big business or something like that but there are certain bands and certain acts that I feel are selected on the basis of their skills and talent. So the industry has spotters whose job it is to keep an eye out for acts that show great promise and do demonstrate some natural skills and talent. So these people might have dads with regular jobs because they're not coming from these important family bloodlines. So they will be inducted into the industry and at some point they'll be made an offer to step a few rungs up the ladder. And this is where we have the concept of the Faustian bargain coming in, the notion of selling your soul for fame and fortune, which people think is a metaphorical statement, but I would suggest there's a very real aspect to it. And so many of these acts are invited to uh, achieve great fame and success and wealth, but it comes at a very heavy price, which on a sort of metaphysical level is them giving up their soul uh, and corrupting their value system and their morals. Uh, And on a more practical sort of real world basis, just involves them probably getting involved in all kinds of unsavory activities, because there's lots of evidence to show that parties of the type we saw portrayed in Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut movie really go on and that many of these rich and famous and successful people are in attendance and all kinds of stuff happens. It gets filmed and then that footage is used as leverage over these individuals for the rest of their careers and it ensures that they don't go off script and they do what they're told for the rest of their days Otherwise, this footage might just find itself leaking out into the mainstream. So these are some very unsettling and very unsavory realities about the industry. And my research has brought all this up. But since I've gone public with all this, and I've put out my books and done my podcasts and stuff, I do get a lot of correspondence from people that have been in these situations. So I get emails from band members, musicians, who tell me, That they've encountered this type of situation. And in most cases, they've walked away from it. And they're very grateful that they did. So they were shown some stuff or invited to one of these events. And they didn't like the way it was panning out. And so they said, no, thanks, you're all right, and walked out. And it seems that at that stage, you can walk out. But once you cross a certain line, and once you corrupt your moral value system irreversibly, then you're owned for the rest of your days. So the best advice I ever give to any wannabe successful musicians, or DJs or producers, whatever it may be, is just be very wary of when that time comes when that offer comes. And if you want to keep your soul intact, and if you want to have freedom for the rest of your days, then don't accept that offer.
0: So what about the people who have done the Faustian bargain and then changed their mind and want to talk about it? Have there been many who've done that?
1: Well, you can't really change your mind in terms of walking away from it all. It seems there are a few artists that have expressed some regret over the nature of that bargain that they've made. And the best example we have of that is Bob Dylan from A very famous interview that he did many years ago on a chat show with Ed Bradley. And this is where Bradley asks him, What is the key to his longevity? How is it that he's been around for so long? And Dylan replies, It goes back to a bargain that I made a long time ago, and I'm keeping up my end of the bargain. And then Bradley asks him, Who is the bargain with? And on this piece of footage, which you can get on YouTube, it looks as if Dylan is about to say, with the devil, because he says, it was a bargain with the And then he stops himself. And he changes it. And he says, with the chief commander. And Bradley says, the chief commander of this world. And Dylan replies, of this world, and of the world we can't see. So he's talking about this Faustian bargain. And that's as close as we're ever going to get to a public admission that this kind of thing really goes on. And then, You've heard a few other uh, expressions from certain artists. Ozzy Osbourne has spoken of uh, feeling like he's animated when he does stage performances and something comes into him. And I think he was asked once, what is it? And he says, I hope it's not what I think it is, which is the devil, which is what he's implying. And there have been other artists, you know, Katy Perry, in a famous interview, said that she tried to become successful as a Christian rock artist and it didn't work out and so she sold her soul to the devil and Kanye West in a freestyle up on stage one time said "Uh, I made a pact with the devil it was a crappy deal at least it came with a few toys like a happy meal so there's a handful of artists there that have kind of given little clues and indicators as to how it is they came to achieve their success And we find this sort of thing portrayed in many movies as well, notably the film Rosemary's Baby. In some of my live presentations recently, I've been looking at some of the many parallels and the unbelievable amount of synchromistic connections between the Beatles, arguably the most prominent and successful pop group of all times, and that 1968 Roman Polanski-directed movie Rosemary's Baby and in the narrative to that film it depicts a young couple played by Mia Farrow Rosemary and John Cassavetes her husband who unwittingly fall in with a group of satanists it's a cult and everyone they come across in this building that they move into which by the way in the movie is the Dakota building in New York just close to Central Park uh, which is the location where John Lennon was assassinated in 1980. That's one of so many connections between that movie and that group. But they fall in with this satanic cult. And the John Cassavetes character is an aspiring actor. He wants to make it big on the Broadway stage. He's not really getting any success. And we come to discover later in the movie's narrative that he's made a secret deal with these Satanists. And they cause the actor, who's currently portraying the role that he wants, to become blind, so that he can no longer take the role, so that John Cassavet's character gets the role that he wants. So the Satanists have fixed that for him, but it comes at a very heavy price. And people might say the price is a bit far-fetched in the narrative of this movie, but what's happened is that he's given up his wife, portrayed by Mia Farrow, the Rosemary of the title, and allowed her or given permission for her to be impregnated by a demonic entity taken to be the devil and to bear its child that's where we get the title Rosemary's Baby and I would suggest that in that narrative we're getting a very real glimpse courtesy of Roman Polanski and Ira Levin who wrote the original novel of how satanism operates in society unfortunately because satanists and dark occultists sit at the top of every aspect of organized society they don't just control entertainment, they control every aspect of it, but they control a whole lot more. So they're at the top of academia, of science, of the medical industry, of politics, of the mainstream media, of big business, big tech, any expression of regular everyday life that you can think of. The way society is structured is that you have these types of individuals working through different groups and networks, directing the way these institutions are run. So the entertainment industry is just one expression of that.
0: Yes, indeed, I, I, I agree. Unfortunately, I agree. Um, you mentioned Katy Perry earlier. Um, where does that put Russell Brand in the picture?
1: Well, Russell Brand was married to Katy Perry for a time and it seems pretty clear that he was portraying the role of her mind control handler. So this brings us into mind control programming. It primarily comes out of the CIA and it's part of their MK Ultra program, which was begun way back in the 1950s. One aspect of this is that it uses mind control programming techniques to produce Manchurian candidate style assassins of the type of Mark David Chapman, who is said to have assassinated John Lennon in the aforementioned event. I've got my doubts as to whether Chapman was actually responsible for that. That's a whole different story. But he stands as a good example of what the MK Ultra program has churned out. Another example would be Sirhan Sirhan, who's said to have assassinated. Robert Kennedy, and there are many more examples. And then another expression of MKUltra comes through what's known as Monarch Programming. This is a particular method that is used, and we find so many examples of it in the world of entertainment. So again, it applies to the Hollywood film industry just as much as it applies to the music industry. But the controllers of these institutions like their owned assets to be kept on a very short leash. They want them fulfilling their roles, portraying agendas or fulfilling agendas, and they don't want them going off script and making their own comments and thinking with their own minds. So that's why so many of them are mind controlled. They undergo this kind of programming. With many, it's done from a very young age. It's done from early childhood. And this will be as a result of the families that many of these artists are born into. Britney Spears is a very good example of that. And so where you have a mind control subject, you need a handler. And this is someone that keeps an eye on them, make sure they don't go off script, make sure the programming doesn't break down, as it sometimes does. Again, Britney Spears is a great example of that and just generally ensures that everything is going as it should. So often, mind control handlers are partners, ostensibly romantic partners, spouses, or boyfriends, girlfriends. They have to be very close to the subject, so they often get hooked up in these kind of relationships. One example of an arranged relationship within the industry would be Jay-Z and Beyonce. Uh, with Jay-Z fulfilling the role of Beyonce's handler. We also had this, I believe, with Yoko Ono being inserted into John Lennon's world and ensuring that he was steered off in certain directions when he started to become outspoken and uh, seemed to express some regret at what it was the Beatles had been a part of. In terms of pushing agendas in the 60s but there's so much evidence to show that yoko had a very controlling effect over john lennon he actually referred to her as mother he had some very deep rooted psychological mother issues uh, due to losing his mother at the age of i think it was 14 when she was mown down in the street by an off-duty police officer so yoko sort of fulfilled that role and then with katie perry we find that russell brand popped up in her world for a few years there was a very interesting video which was on YouTube it's almost certainly been taken down now It might be elsewhere but it was Russell Brand and Katy Perry attending some kind of red carpet VIP event and Katy Perry is talking to an interviewer and she's just kind of happily chatting away and Russell Brand is seen to flash a pendant With the word obey on it. And Katy Perry seems to catch a glimpse of this, and instantly her demeanor changes and she becomes subservient. And Russell Brand sort of takes over the conversation at that point. So it seems pretty clear that that was some sort of mind control trigger that he was using over her. And then another name that you hear quite often suggested as a mind control handler is Chris Christopherson. The singer and actor who's been around forever. Uh, he was romantically linked to Barbara Streisand but he also had uh, some sort of strange relationship with Sinead O'Connor and there's an example of her being on stage and between songs starting to talk about I think it was the sexual abuse that goes on at the hands of Catholic priests in that church institution and Chris Christopherson comes on stage and he's seen to whisper something in her ear, which will be some sort of trigger phrase, and then she instantly changes in her mannerisms and becomes subservient to him and gets led off stage. So this is handlers and mind control subjects. In most cases, the handlers themselves have gone through mind control programming, so they've been programmed to become the handler. But I'm very wary of any celebrity relationships that we now see, because it seems pretty clear that these things are organized, you know, Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie and all these celebrity couples, you know, I feel that they're arranged in that way. And often they come with a sort of sell by date, there comes a point where the handler just gets retired. And so it was with Russell Brand, after a few years, those two got divorced, and he went his own way, started dating people like Jemima Khan, nay jemima goldsmith from the uh, goldsmith banking dynasty and russell brand has now reemerged i see as some sort of guru of the truth alternative scene that's how he's being positioned and he's some sort of you know consciousness guru and he's talking about uh, what's going on in the world and how the mainstream media is lying to us but i wouldn't trust him as far as i could throw him because we've seen this act from him before a few years ago He was put out there as some sort of hero of the truth alternative scene, and he was calling for a revolution of consciousness and all this stuff. And unfortunately, a few people fell for it, but thankfully, most people in this community saw right through it. And it seems he's now back for a second go, rocking this Jesus archetype look as he does, you know, with the long hair and the beard to make him more acceptable on a subliminal level to uh, easily duped people as some sort of guru and some sort of hero of these times. I wouldn't trust him. His track record speaks for itself. You know, he cropped up in the 2012 London Olympics closing ceremony, playing the part of the child catcher out of the Ian Fleming novel later made into a film by Roald Dahl, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. The child catcher, you know, come on. There was so much symbolism in that event. And it was very dark and very sinister. And how is anyone going to trust Russell Brandt when that's his background? And there's no evidence to show that anything has changed in his world.
0: Well, last time I looked, he had about five and a half million followers or something like that. So he's, well, there he's you go. certainly convincing quite a lot of people. Well,
1: well, he is. And in his most recent video, which I got sent this morning... He's calling for uh, a global government, a one-world government by any other name. He's saying, you know, the solution to all these problems we're facing in the world has to be centralised government. So there he is, fulfilling that new world order agenda and putting out there the idea that this is the only solution to our problems. And this is the end game in terms of where these sick, psychopathic, so-called elites want to take human society we know this, we've done the research, we've seen the documentation, they've spoken about it, and now we've got one of their assets uh, filling the minds of these millions of people with the idea that that's the place we need to go to. So it says it all, really.
0: Well, yes, indeed. So steering us back towards the music world, um, Uh, Tell me about Prince. I I wondered what happened to him. I saw him play a couple of times. He was very, 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 very good.
1: Yeah, I saw him play in 1990, I think it was, and I really enjoyed his music. I've got an essay in Musical Truth Volume 2, my second book, which was written by a friend of mine, Dan (coughs) Munro, who's British, but he's now based in Australia. And it was a fascinating glimpse into Prince's body of work. He went through all his early albums and combed through all the lyrics and all the themes and all the symbolism and the artwork on the sleeves and this sort of thing. And he demonstrated how, pretty much from the very start of his career, Prince was flirting with occult symbolism and was demonstrating knowledge of uh, occult mystery school teachings and such. So that was one level to him. Then in terms of his lyrics and the themes in his songs, most of them were lewd and lascivious. It was about sex uh, pretty much every time he put out a new album. But Dan showed that if you look on all of these albums, for every one of these tracks for which he's best known, talking about basically sex, uh, you also find very deep introspective spiritual and religious beliefs being explored. Many of the tracks talk about redemption and uh, the uh, absolving of sins and things like this and it gives the impression that Prince was actually a deeply religious character who had these kind of beliefs and it seems totally at odds with the nature of the mainstream material for which he's best known so he was a real walking contradiction there were some real dichotomies going on with Prince and it becomes fascinating to consider these things one of the tracks on his 1985 album Around the World in a Day is called The Ladder and he's talking about a rich man a king who basically had all the wealth in the world but he still felt like he was lacking, like he was completely poor spiritually, because he didn't have that aspect to himself intact. And he's talking about the ladder as a metaphor, possibly evoking Jacob's ladder from the biblical story, as a metaphor for ascension to higher levels of consciousness. And this is coming from a mainstream artist, you know, these are themes that you don't really hear explored in songs anymore. I can't bring to mind any Katy Perry or Lady Gaga songs that talk about these kind of themes, or from any artist in the mainstream, actually, for probably the last 30 years. But it's all there in Prince's work. So this brings us all the way through to his unfortunate demise, if he did indeed die, when we're told he did, which is supposed to have been the 20th of April in 2016. And 2016 was a very unlucky year for musicians for famous rock stars because at the start of the year we're told David Bowie passed away and I say we're told because with all of these events many researchers have highlighted lots of discrepancies and lots of problems with the official story of how these artists met their end there's symbolism involved, there's numerology involved, and in some cases, there's characters who seem to be getting paraded to the public after this artist is said to have died who look just like them and sound just like them. And it's led many to question whether this might be the artist in question, heavily disguised, but allowed to retire from their public persona and live out their remaining years quietly outside of the glare of the spotlight in some sort of CIA style witness protection program sort of arrangement. And I wouldn't necessarily dismiss that. Because with David Bowie, we had the interesting spectacle of an individual by the name of Jack Stephen, who appeared on a Sky News broadcast the day after David Bowie is said to have died. Nobody had really heard of Jack Stephen before. He didn't seem to have any kind of history. You can only find one other video of him anywhere on the internet and he looks nothing like he does in this sky news broadcast and in the sky news broadcast he does look very much like David Bowie and he sounds like him as well which has led many to raise an eyebrow or two. Then with Michael Jackson when he's said to have passed away in 2009 there was an individual who went by the name of Dave Dave, or Dave Rothenstein, I think was his full name. And he's said to have been a burns victim, who underwent surgery, when his father doused him with fuel and set him alight. So he's undergone this heavy surgery, and it's obviously changed his appearance. But the funny thing about him is that he looks just like you'd imagine Michael Jackson to look under a certain amount of prosthetic surgery and he sounds very similar to him as well. So it leads many to question whether these artists actually died when we're told they did. So 2016 was bookended by David Bowie in January, and then on Christmas Day of that year, George Michael turned up dead in bed in some very questionable circumstances. And then sort of in the middle of those two, you had Prince on the 20th of April, which coincides with the Queen's birthday birthday, and there were celebrations going on that year where various landmarks around the world were getting drenched in purple. They were being illuminated in purple, and it was said to be a celebration of the Queen's birthday. Niagara Falls was one such monument, and purple is a colour associated with royalty, but purple is also a colour associated with prince, from purple rain and such. So there were some very strange ritualistic elements to us being told that Prince had died in an elevator, he had some comments about an elevator and what that represents spiritually in his song Let's Go Crazy from the Purple Rain album of many years before, so we're told that he turned up dead in an elevator in his Paisley Park uh, complex at the age of 57, despite the fact that he's said to have lived a very healthy lifestyle he was a vegan, he had an exercise regime, and, you know, he was the epitome of good health. So for some reason, he dropped dead in an elevator, supposedly of some sort of medication that he was on, courtesy of Big Pharma. Uh, we got a similar story with Michael Jackson, who is said to have been killed by his doctor, Conrad Murray, through being given an overdose of various medications coming out of Big Pharma. And so Michael Jackson, Prince, and George Michael are all said to have turned up dead in their 50s. And all three of them had some very public comments to make about the record labels that they were signed to in terms of the restrictive nature of the contracts that artists have with their record companies. So Michael Jackson and George Michael were signed to the Sony Corporation, and made some very unflattering comments about them. Michael Jackson referred to Tommy Mottola, the one-time CEO of Sony, as the devil, and uh, didn't mince his words. And Prince had some things to say about Warner Brothers as well. He tried to release himself from his contract from the restrictive nature of the hold that Warner Brothers had over him in the 90s. And that's the point where he stopped referring to himself as Prince, Because he said that was his slave name to the industry. And for a time, he just wanted to be identified by this unpronounceable symbol that he put out there. And after that, he became the artist formerly known as Prince and had the word slave uh, written on his face when he turned up at a few public events. So all three of them ended up, so we're told, turning up dead in their 50s. So I have to wonder if these were genuine exits because I do have my doubts about some artists Elvis Presley seems very suspect to me I don't really accept that he died at the age of 42 on his toilet (laughs) supposedly Uh, I don't really accept that Jim Morrison of The Doors turned up at the age of 27 dead in a bathtub for some reason it's never been adequately explained why he should have been dead in a tub in his apartment in Paris. So I've got my doubts about some of these. And when it comes to Prince, I don't know, because he clearly pissed off his record label. And he seemingly had become a bit of a thorn in the side of the industry. Because he'd also appeared on a chat show with Tavis Smiley, where he was talking about the geoengineering agenda, chemtrails, by any other name. And he was talking about all this stuff that he'd learned from Dick Gregory, this comedian and activist. And presumably Dick Gregory had schooled Prince in these sort of conspiracy theories, even though the two didn't associate. Prince just observed what Dick Gregory was saying about these things. So on the one hand, you can understand why those that control the industry might have felt that Prince had outstayed his welcome and it was time to go but on the other hand there's these strange aspects of his death that don't really add up and you wonder if he has been inducted into this sort of you know secret program where he's covertly living out the rest of his days somewhere you know I, I really can't discount that
0: yes yes quite <clears throat> i think the same is true of jeffrey epstein he has to be alive and li- living somewhere protected because he's got the the dirt dirt on everybody going some of them it's amazing how people assume people are dead when it doesn't make a lot of sense they would be
1: yeah i mean it sounds outrageous the first time you hear this kind of thing and for anyone that's not done any kind of alternative research that's not questioned the lies of the mainstream media that's not looked at any kind of alternative books or videos or listened to any alternative researchers, this stuff will sound fantastic, and it will sound impossible. But you've got to school yourself in this stuff. It's like, you know, if you approach any kind of academic subject, if you want to learn Spanish, for instance, and you first look at a book in Spanish, it's going to seem insurmountable, it's going to seem Uh, something that you're never going to be able to master but if you keep doing the studying and you keep applying yourself and you keep learning bit by bit then the subject becomes more accessible and you can absolutely become a master at it and it's the same thing with this kind of research it sounds outrageous when you first come across it but the more you look into it and the more uh, sources you look at The more speakers you listen to, the more authors you read, the more filmmakers whose work you look at, the more you come to realise that this stuff is actually real and does actually go on. And the world is nothing like the way it's portrayed to us by the mainstream media and by academia, organised society and by the governments of the world. You know, unfortunately... I wish it was some other way, but I'm just reporting the way it is. These people, these institutions are full-time paid liars and deceivers. That is their job, to keep the masses in a state of ignorance and fear, and to keep them away from empowering, liberating truths. And so to hear stuff of the nature that I talk about, on the surface, it can seem very dark, very devastating, very disturbing, very unsettling. And someone at first might think, well, why would I want to know this stuff? It's just going to depress me and bring me down. But actually, it's very liberating. Actually, it's very personally empowering to know this stuff, because you're breaking the magician's spell, and you're ensuring that the mind control is no longer going to work on you. Can't speak for everyone, but for yourself, you can say, I'm done with being mind-controlled in this way. I'm done with having my belief systems and values and perceptions shaped and molded for me by others. I'm in control of what I accept, what I believe, what I know to be true now. And this kind of information can help to get you to that point. So it is very positive and it is ultimately a very empowering thing to arm yourself with this kind of knowledge. It might sound outrageous at first, but the more you look into it, the more you'll see it checks out. Everything that I talk about has validity. There are a few subjects where I speculate, and I generally let people know that this is my opinion, this is my thoughts on the subject, it's not something I can prove. But for the most part, anything that I present comes with citations, references, sources. That's why, it's one of the reasons why my books are so big, because a big part of them consists of the resources section where I show where I got the information from, lest I be accused of pulling it out of the ether. So it does all check out and it can all be validated. It just needs an open mind and the will to want to know this stuff.
0: So uh, for people who've got uh, children at an influential age, um, is there anybody these days that uh, the older people might not have heard of that we should be a little wary of right now?
1: Well, I would say anyone in the mainstream, and particularly the genre that used to be known as hip-hop or rap. It's referred to as urban music. It's got different subgenres. Trap is a sort of offshoot of rap music now and it's actually nothing of the sort you know it's a complete insult to those artists who pioneered the rap and hip-hop genre and it's one that i know a lot about because when i was out there as a dj for 20 plus years playing this stuff in clubs and on the radio uh that was the music i specialized in so in the 90s or the late 80s to the mid 90s that was the golden years of the rap and hip-hop genre some wonderfully creative material. If you go back to the 80s or the late 70s even, there were a lot of socially conscious messages that were coming through rap music. It was actually a very positive genre. It spawned a whole culture, a whole lifestyle. It had other elements like the break dancing and graffiti and the turntablism. But unfortunately, that genre has been completely bastardized and corrupted and sent to the very bottom of the sewer now. So anything that masquerades as rap and hip-hop or urban music is completely toxic and completely satanic. It's pushing agendas. There's all kinds of horrific stuff hidden in the sound frequencies and the production methods. You've got this horrible thing called auto-tune, which the vocals on all these records are drenched in. And it makes the singer or the rapper sound like a robot deliberately. It's part of pushing transhumanism. It's pushing the artificial intelligence reality that the controllers want to take human society to. And it's conditioning a whole generation to get used to this by making all their favorite stars sound like friggin' robots. It's horrific. It's a big agenda. And uh, you've got stuff going into the sound productions as well which make these so-called records just completely uh, horrible to listen to. Uh, Whenever I'm unfortunate to be in the vicinity of this type of so-called music, uh, it makes me panic. It really makes me feel genuinely unwell and anxious, and I've just got to get the hell out of there or hit the off button as quickly as possible. And that's not just me being an old bastard moaning about the, the, the next generation's music. Uh, there's more to it than that. you know. I've researched this stuff, so I know it's pushing agendas. I know it's designed to do great harm. I know that sound frequencies can cause great dissonance and great dis-ease in the listener in exactly the same way that sound can be used for great healing and very positive means. You know, The opposite has to be true in a world of duality. And that's what they're putting into many of these productions now. And anything that you hear played on the radio, any of these stars that you see paraded at these big events like the Grammys and the Super Bowl show and the MTV VMAs and all these big concerts are going to be pushing agendas now because they've really stepped things up in the last 20 plus years, I would say. The music industry has always been used to push social engineering agendas. But a lot of the music in previous decades, going up to probably the late 90s, was very innocent in comparison to what we're getting now, because it's all agenda music now. So you really need to be keeping young people away from this stuff as far as is possible. And as the parent of two daughters aged 11 and 13, I know only too well how difficult that is with all the societal influences that there are and all the stuff they pick up at school and from their friends. It's very, very difficult to keep them away from this stuff. But if you can, there's going to be great value in preventing them from being exposed to all this horrific stuff. There is great music out there. It is being made. You've just got to know where to find it. So you're never going to hear it on the radio. You're never going to see it on TV. You're not going to hear it as you push your trolley around Tesco either you've got to do some deep diving to find the stuff. And this is where my Conscious Music podcast comes in, The Sound of Freedom, which I've been running since 2013. I'm up to 110 episodes now. And whenever I get the time, I collate, bring together a whole load of music of different genres. I usually start with positive, empowering rap and hip-hop for a few songs and then if there's any conscious reggae around at that time i'll throw a couple of those tracks in but there'll be other styles as well you know acoustic stuff rock style stuff dance music drum and bass any song that's offering an empowering uplifting message or that's commenting on the social conditions of the time and has something meaningful to say is fair game for being included in The Sound of Freedom and I've reached a stage now where most of these music makers, whether it's rappers, singers, guitarists, producers, they send me their stuff direct, so they just email me their songs and I put it all in a folder and then whenever I get the time to put the show together, I listen to it all, work out how it can best be put together and then put out one of these shows. And to my thinking, this is the best source, the go-to place for people to find music that's going to genuinely speak to them, resonate with them and uplift them. It's a damn shame we don't get this sort of thing played on the radio, because if we did, it could change the world's consciousness within a week, I feel.
0: Yes. It's um, I mean, When I was young, there were things like Radio Luxembourg and pirate radio ships and so on. And um, I wonder where that sort of whole pirate spirit has gone. Has it just been taken out with legal ridiculousness?
1: For the most part, yeah. Uh, FM stations are very few in number now because there's been a lot of consolidation. Smaller stations have been swallowed up by larger radio groups and You know, these small stations then lose their individual identity. They just become part of the corporate branding of these monoliths. So uh, FM radio is pretty much dead now. There's internet radio. And of course, there are some great stations playing music of the nature that I've just mentioned. One is called WTFR. Uh, I did a couple of shows with those guys and they have conversation-based stuff as well as music. That's a great resource. But the pirate spirit yeah, that's all gone. I mean, the whole spirit of punk and anarchy and anti-establishment has gone, if it was ever there in the first place, if it wasn't just completely controlled. We've seen this with COVID, in terms of the absolute lack of any outspokenness on the part of artists and mavericks who are thought of, at least in terms of their public persona, as being anti-establishment and a bit edgy and a bit dangerous absolute crickets and tumbleweed from all of them so-called punks so-called anarchists they've had nothing to say about the most blatant tyranny that's ever been unfolded on the world's population if ever we've needed genuine artists to speak out and address their fan base it's been in the last two years and they failed to do so. And that is proof positive that they're all owned and controlled, and they don't have the freedom to make those kind of statements. So it's very disappointing. And I think that pirate radio spirit is decades in the past now. Everything is so much more closely controlled. There's so little artistic freedom in the mainstream. I mean, like I say, obviously, with these independent artists putting out stuff on their own platforms and not even bothering to try and get a deal with a major label, some great creative output, but most people just don't think to go to these sources, or they don't know where to go to find this kind of music. They only know to uh, put on the radio, put on the TV, go on YouTube, uh, go on Spotify, whatever source it may be. And you're just not going to hear this good stuff on those platforms. So everything is so much more strictly controlled now.
0: So apart, I mean, I can think of Eric Clapton, Ian Brown, Van Morrison, you're going to know a lot more than I do. Who else actually is speaking out?
1: Right, said Fred. Yes. (laughs) Extremely unlikely, but um, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. You know, some people say they're controlled, whatever. You hear that about everyone, but anyone that has spoken out, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. And I'm going to assume that they're genuine and sincere in their message until I see something that confirms otherwise. So I'm accepting that Van Morrison and Ian Brown and Right Said Fred are well-meaning in what they've got to say. And I really hope they don't let me down. And there's a few other celebrities, Julian McKeith, so unlikely, you know, the nutritionist that used to have a show on Channel 4, known as the Pooh lady because she used to dig through stall samples rather her than me uh, she's now very outspoken about uh, the madness and the tyranny that's going on she's putting that all over her social media uh, who else uh, who's that football guy Matt Letizia is had a few things to say about all these sports stars mysteriously dropping dead on the field hmm what could be causing that I wonder um, but not many others. I mean, there's Danny Rampling, the DJ. There's Slipmat, uh, a DJ from the sort of rave dance scene. They're quite outspoken. They've been turning up at freedom rallies and such. So fair play to them. Uh, but really, not many others. It's it's quite pathetic. It really is.
0: Yes. What, what what about film stars? Any of those? You'd think there'd be hundreds, wouldn't you? I mean, as you say, it's almost proof. or does appear to be proof because. What? where are the brave people? I'm stunned, really.
1: Yeah, I am as well, because I thought there would be a few whose consciences would kick in and they just wouldn't be able to stay silent. And you would think with all the however many hundreds of thousands of Hollywood actors there are, there would be at least a small handful that would look at themselves in the mirror and say, I can't do this. I've got to speak out. I know what's going on here. I know there will be consequences for me in speaking out. I may lose my career, never work again. Uh, It may be more extreme than that. They may come after me and try and take me out. But in all good conscience, I just can't go along with this. Would you not think that there would be even a couple of that nature I mean, in the music industry, we've got very, very few, but there's that small handful that we just spoke about. In the Hollywood film industry, I mean, I don't study it that closely, and those that do may be able to offer up a few names that have become outspoken, but I'm not aware of any myself that have had anything to say other than reinforcing the official narrative. And we know that opinions differ in life. If we just think about our family members, Our circle of friends, people we work with, we know that people hold different opinions. They don't all agree on the same thing. We have these kinds of conversations in our lives. So it's just not natural and it's just not feasible that 100% of that community is all going to see things exactly the same way as is portrayed by the mainstream media and the governments. It's clear. That some are going to have a differing viewpoint. It's human nature. And yet it's not being expressed. So, again, that stands as proof positive that all these celebrities are owned and controlled assets. They're not your friends. This is something I've spent many years trying to reinforce in people's minds celebrities are not your friends, they're not there to uplift or enrich your life in any way. They don't care about you all they care about is their salaries and not upsetting their overlords so they just continue to do what's required of them but you've got to let go of these heroes it's got to be no more heroes i did a couple of talks uh, a few years ago i think you were there in Acapulco, 2019 weren't you
0: yeah exactly yeah
1: yeah i did a talk there called no more heroes And it was me saying that we don't really know who these celebrities are. We think we do. We get the biography and the official Wikipedia account of them, but we don't really know where they've come from. They just get served up on a plate to us. Here's the next big thing. Here's your next big rock star. Here's your next big rapper. And so why would you place your trust in somebody who you don't really know anything about? You wouldn't do it in your everyday life if someone turned up in your circle of family or friends, and you didn't know them, uh, you wouldn't really trust them until you'd got to know them. And yet with celebrities, people seem to act like they're their best friend, and they know everything about them. But you really don't. And we've got to let go of these attachments to these heroes, to these gurus, even within the truth alternative scene, you know, you've got to let go of uh, investment in certain public figures. Because again, they're not your friends you can listen to their information and if it checks out and resonates with you then that's great but in terms of putting them as an individual on a pedestal and revering and worshipping them it's something to be very wary of because anyone that's ever been presented in the public eye as any kind of hero and put up there on a pedestal and spoken of in the mainstream media and they become a household name to the point that everyone knows them can be shown to have been controlled in some way and fulfilling some agenda or other. So you've got to let go of these heroes. I know it's difficult. We've all got attachments to uh, artists and public figures that we've looked up to in the past. I know this as much as anyone. I used to have DJ heroes who inspired me in that aspect of my career. Uh, they were you know, musicians that I used to like as well, but I've had to let them all go. It doesn't mean you can stop or you have to stop enjoying the music. This is an important message because life without music is barely worth living in my book. And of course, you come to discover that the makers of so much music that you might have some nostalgic attachment to were probably controlled and they were, you know, serving agendas or whatever. So then you just let go of the artist. You let go of attachment to the artist, but you can continue to enjoy the art the art remains. A great song is a great song, regardless of the circumstances in which it was created. So I'm not telling anyone to throw their old albums out and not listen to their favorite bands. I'm just telling them to be aware of where these bands might have come from, what their true purpose was. And once you know all that stuff, and you can consciously process it, then whatever mind control might have been lurking there, is not going to work on you anymore because you're more streetwise now. You've got hip to how the game is played. Now, if you choose, you can just continue to enjoy the music for the music's sake.
0: Well, very good. Uh, I am happy to say that I do know one uh, musician who is incredibly wonderful and um, uh, who is on the side of good joy happiness and the people, so it's not all doom and gloom. What, is
1: that a, a household name?
0: Uh, uh, only on a small level. Right, okay. Uh, he's now a famous producer more than playing in the band.
1: Okay. But, I mean, but... can you imagine, can you imagine somebody of the ilk of Sir Paul McCartney or Sir Mick Jagger? I mean, it's never going to happen, of course, but just imagine you know, suspend your disbelief and just go into that imaginary state. Somebody like that, if they'd spoken out in the last two years and said COVID is a massive scam, it's all about stripping away individual rights and freedoms. It's all about justifying marching humanity ever closer to this new world order agenda 2030 nightmare scenario. It's all about advancing the aims of Klaus Schwab and his great reset, and all this. The virus is fake. Uh, it can be shown to be so. The tests don't work. The masks don't work. The vaccines that will get us taken down off YouTube uh, are maiming people. And in many cases, there's evidence to show that they're killing people. Just imagine if somebody of that ilk came out and said that. I mean, obviously, they'd never be able to work again. And they would probably get taken out but the impact that they would make would ensure that not only would that scam fall flat on its face that very day but any future scams that they try to pull would probably now fail because millions upon millions upon millions of people who hang on the every word of a celebrity like that are now re-questioning their reality that's why they can't let any of them speak out. That's why they mind control them. That's why they uh, corrupt them. That's why they blackmail them. But uh, I, I do fantasize about what it would be like if somebody like that were to speak out on that kind of level.
0: I suppose they're threatened with what to them is the ultimate threat, which is all the people that you know will get wiped out if you ever say anything. You know, you, so I was thinking, well, you're surely people at the end of life, they're about to die yeah, they could speak out, but they just threaten, you know, anybody that they know. I think, and they do it like that.
1: I think that's probably it. You know, that's going to be the ultimate leverage to have over somebody. Uh, you speak out, and your entire family gets it. I mean, that that would prevent probably one hundred percent of people from uh, speaking out. Those kind of circumstances.
0: Can I just ask you one last question? You mentioned George Michael. Any ideas what happened to him? What were, were really, was he out, outspoken? Like, I don't know.
1: Well, yes, he was. He, as well as uh, criticizing the Sony Corporation that he was signed to, he appeared on an episode of the BBC's Hard Talk with Tim Sebastian back in, when would it have been, 2003? Or is in the wake of the incursions into Afghanistan and Iraq off the back of 9-11. Uh, when when that second gulf war was started in 2003 so he went on a bbc show and he criticized very heavily the bush and blair regimes and he called them out as warmongers and he said they've got no right to be going into these countries and it's all about raping and pillaging the resources and this kind of thing which you're not really supposed to talk about when you're an a-list artist So I think that would have put him on the radar of the industry's controllers as somebody who speaks his mind and, you know, a loose cannon that potentially needs to be reined in. So there were some very strange aspects to him turning up dead on Christmas Day of 2016 in bed, which was 10 years to the day after James Brown died, incidentally, Christmas Day 2006. And the general consensus there is that he was poisoned. When he went into hospital. That's a whole different story and it's actually one that I've been covering in my live talks uh, that I've been doing recently uh, as part of my speaking tour. Anyway George Michael turned up dead in bed and this was reported by a guy who's said to have been his lover Fadi Fawaz. He was a hairdresser and he'd previously been in a relationship so we're told with Stephen Gately, of the Irish boy band Boyzone. And Stephen Gately turned up dead very suddenly. I think it was on holiday in Mallorca. And he's said to have suffered sudden adult death syndrome, which is a very convenient way of explaining away why somebody's died in suspicious circumstances. Just call it a syndrome and say, oh, well, it just happens. So then Fadi Fawaz moved on to George Michael. And... In the initial account that he gave of what happened he said that he was in the house with George on Christmas Eve going into Christmas Day and when he woke on Christmas Day George was unresponsive and he called an ambulance but he later changed his statement to police and said that rather than being in the house on Christmas Eve night he'd actually slept in his car So, you know, we all do it, don't we? You go round to your lover's house on Christmas Eve, and rather than being in the warm with them and seeing in Christmas Day with them, you just sleep in your car and let yourself in halfway through Christmas Day, you know. So that story changed, which is strange in itself. And I think if you or I had changed our statement to police, in the case of a suspicious death like this, we'd probably get marched down the station for a bit of a grilling. But evidently, that didn't happen to Fadi Fawaz. And then there was some interesting stuff about him clashing with George Michael's family afterwards over uh, George's possessions and one of his houses. Uh, I forget the exact details, but Fadi Fawaz had holed himself up at one of George Michael's houses, and the family had to resort to legal action to get rid of him. So it's all very strange, and Fadi Fawaz emerges looking like some sort of handler. That was sent into George Michael's world. And uh, I do think that the George Michael death was a genuine one. I've not seen anything to suggest that he might have been allowed to be inducted into one of these secret programs and he's still alive out there somewhere. I mean, I could be wrong. Who knows? But from what I've seen, that seems to have been him genuinely being taken out. If you don't accept that he died of heart failure on Christmas Day so a man most famous for singing the line last christmas i gave you my heart turns up dead in bed of heart failure on christmas day you couldn't make it up and you don't have to wow
0: (laughs) that's a crazy story well look thank you so much mark that was absolutely brilliant and where should people go to buy your books
1: well they are all available on amazon if you want to go that route. And I actually suggest to people in America or Canada that it's probably best to go through Amazon because it's so costly to mail to these countries now. And a lot of my mail has been going missing uh, to these countries. So you really should just bite the bullet and you know go with the beast and, and buy the books from Amazon. But anywhere else, you know, throughout the UK and Europe and other parts of the world, people can drop me an email to markdevlinuk at gmail.com and I can mail out any other the copies. So I've got three volumes of Musical Truth. They're available in paperback or hardback versions. Musical Truth 1 is also available in audiobook, which I've narrated. I've not had the time to do volumes two or three yet, but at some point I will. And I've also got an allegorical novel. I tried my hand at fiction writing for the first time in 2019, and the result was my book, The Cause and the Cure and it's full of truth bombs, it's full of symbolism and spiritual teachings and hidden coded stuff. So I had a lot of fun with that book. And then the hub website from which you can link to my video channels and get all my podcasts. I've got my Good Vibrations conversation-based podcast, and I've got the Sound of Freedom Conscious Music podcast. You can access all of those via djmarkdevlin.com. And you can also find out where I'm going going to be speaking, in the coming weeks and months. I think you and I are both at the Questioning Science, aren't we, in August in Nottingham?
0: Could be, I'm not sure. So, yeah.
1: Well, you're on on the flyer.
0: Oh, in that case, I must be, yeah. Do you think that the reason that the psychopaths, the family members do what they do is because they believe that they will be reincarnated back into the same family over and over and over?
1: Well, some researchers think that that's what it is and that's their belief system and it could well be you know i mean i I don't really know how uh the karmic wheel and reincarnation and these kind of concepts work i've got my ideas about it but i don't really know uh so yeah it's possible it's possible they believe that
0: you know i was just sort of thinking and thinking about how how could it possibly justify Doing what they're doing. But from a long term perspective, it, it makes a lot more sense.
1: And also, they plan agendas decades in advance. And they must know that they're not going to be alive to see the agenda come into fruition mm. in, in their current lifetimes. I mean, 9 11 was planned way back in the 1960s when those World Trade Center towers were constructed at the end of the 60s. In my view, it was known that they were going to bring them down 33 years later in 2001 they were constructed to be brought down all those decades later and many of the people that were a part of that in the 60s wouldn't have been alive in 2001 to see it so it's it's incredible devotion to the cause that they show when they can plan something that's going to happen you know in 50 years time it's so maybe, amazing really
0: so maybe the reason that the famous never talk is because they've been shown this this if this, if you know if that or something very similar was the secret, they they've been shown it, and they they really have given up their soul for 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 many lifetimes, conceivably.
1: Yeah, I I just don't know how it's possible that somebody can go along with agendas which result in genocide and immense human suffering and and be okay with that. I just I just cannot comprehend how you can sleep at night. Bear to look at yourself in the mirror, how your conscience is not prodding you in the ribs every moment of every day to say, you should not be doing this. And yet, evidently, many of them, well, pretty much all of them, go along with these things. I just, I just don't know how it's possible.
0: My feeling is that they're so far removed from humanity that they just think we're idiots for not doing what they do. We clearly have got no brains at all, because clearly we could be exploiting everybody around us, but we're not for some reason as stupid. You know, they just look, they think they're incredibly intelligent.
1: Well, that's because we comprehend right action and what it is, you know, what, what rights are, what you are permitted to do and what you're not permitted to do in human behaviour. And there are consequences for the choices that you make. So you can choose to live a life steeped in evil, and uh, genociding others, but don't think it won't come without its price.